Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Carrie Gino continues our series in Hebrews, sharing from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5 through Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 2. Now, here's Carrie. In the midst of a storm, a little bird was clinging to the limb of a tree, seemingly calm and unafraid. As a wind tore at the limbs of the tree, the bird continued to look the storm in the face as if to say, shake me off, I still have wings. Because of Christ's resurrection, each Christian can look the experience of death in the face and confidently say, shake me off, I still have wings. I'll live anyway. And so on this Easter morning, we celebrate the fact that we have eternal life because our Savior Jesus Christ has risen and has overcome death. In continuing our study of the book of Hebrews, our reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5 to chapter 3 verse 2. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, in bringing many sons to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He is faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. In the Gospel of John, we find the words, and the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. The eternal and royal Son of God was born in a stable, 
walked among us on this earth, and gave his life on the Roman cross. The book of Hebrews describes the incarnation of Jesus in detail. The first chapter of Hebrews sets the scene for the earthly Jesus. The writer describes his son in majestic detail. He is the word of God. He is presented as the means by which God created as well as sustains the universe. The Son is the exact representation of God and the radiance of his glory. He is the one whom the scriptures of old prophesied. Because the Son is all of these things, he is greater in all respects to everything in creation. And this includes the greatest of all creatures, his, the angels. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than Aaron. He has a greater priesthood and is a better offering than their offerings. The Son is worthy of all praise, worship, and majesty. And this worship is even commanded with the angels themselves. It seems that at the time Hebrews was written, Christians could find safety from persecution if they rejected their Christian beliefs and identified more closely with their local Jewish community. But it seems evident that some in the original audience of Hebrews were tempted to leave the faith. I'm reminded of an article I read in which Bill Moyers was asked about his faith. Moyers mentioned growing up in a Southern Baptist church, and he said, someone recently asked me what the moment was when I became a Christian. And I told them I never did become a Christian. I can't turn the other cheek. I can't sell all of my possessions and give them away. I can't love my enemy. I'm not a Christian because I can't do what Jesus asks. But I care deeply for that figure. He has instructed my faith. He looms large in my life. But I can't do what he asked me to do. So I can't legitimately claim to be a Christian. At some point in his church upbringing, Moyers must have missed the message of grace. The whole reason that Jesus took our place is because we're unable to live righteously. The gospel of works is the enemy of the gospel of grace, and we have to fight it at every opportunity. One mark of a false religion is the emphasis of salvation by our own works. When we really think about it, Salvation can come no other way than by the grace of God. How can a person condemned by sin reverse the condemnation of sin that that sin has produced? How can one, by keeping the law, blot out one's law-breaking? No matter how well we live, our future will always be marred by our past. There is nothing we can do to remove the stain of our old sins. According to both scripture and common sense, salvation can only be through the free favor of God. We are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 tells us, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. After a short interlude at the beginning of chapter 2 in which people are warned from drifting away from the truth, 
Hebrew goes on to address the other nature of the Son. Not only is the Son fully God, but he, he is also fully participated in our humanity, with the only exception apart from sin. The great wonder that we remember at Christmas time is why God would enter his own creation. This is a wonderful mystery to which we can only believe that he did, and that he did this for us, for our salvation. Chapter 2 tackles the question, if Jesus Christ is so highly exalted, and he is in fact God himself, then why did he come so very low in his humanity, his suffering, and even his death? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5 to 13 says Jesus needed to come so low in order to lead many to glory. God had a grand plan for humanity right from the beginning, back in the Garden of Eden. And one thing Hebrews wants us to see and understand is that God cares deeply about humanity. And he's never abandoned his grand plan for us. The writer of Hebrews picks up the topic of Jesus' humanity in verse 5. And the writer quotes the 8th Psalm to achieve this purpose. The Psalm states that God had a special purpose for humanity. He created them a little less than the angels. Why should God care for an inferior rank of creatures and sinful and rebellious at that? Charles Wesley puts this in powerful words. And can it be that thou, my Savior, didst die for me? What amazing love. Even though the eighth psalm seems to address humanity in general, Hebrews adapts this to speak of Jesus specifically. When we look at Paul's second Adam, second Adam's presentation in Romans 5, we realize that Jesus as the second Adam represents all of humanity in himself. And we who were once one with the old Adam and now have received Christ have changed from the curse of the first Adam to the blessing offered by the second. Jesus came down and participated in the flesh so that we could participate in his new nature in a restored humanity. The image of death is replaced by eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus was God's visitation to us. He who is exalted above the heavens came down to be a creature like us. The time would come that after Jesus had accomplished our salvation, that he would be restored to his full and rightful glory. The reason that Jesus came is stated in verse 9. He became human that we might, that he might taste death for every person. If Jesus tasted our mortality, then it becomes possible for us to share in his immortality. The Jesus who tasted death for us rose from the dead and is ascended to the Father's right hand. And the end of chapter one tells us that we have a share in this inheritance. Verse 10 continues the discussion of this mystery. It seems good for the one who is the author of all creation, that the one who is the means of our salvation should be made perfect through suffering. Jesus is the only one of us who lived undamaged by sin. Jesus knew no sin 
that the writer of Hebrew tells us that he learned obedience and was made perfect. What the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand is that the full beauty and purpose of Jesus' ministry was not realized until the cross. Before he died, his ministry was incomplete and imperfect. But on the cross, everything that needed to be done to save and sanctify us was accomplished. On the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. If Christ is our Savior, we have been made holy through Jesus, completed, fulfilled, and finished by the work of the cross. The motivation for his doing this is so that he might lead many into glory. Jesus came down that he might raise us up. Jesus suffered hunger and rejection. He felt real pain. He was tortured and put to death. No one has ever suffered more than Jesus did. He became one with us that we might become one with one with him. Jesus is willing to be our brother. Several Old Testament quotes are strung together like pearls to show that this was God's plan all along. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was seen and felt at the tabernacle in the center of the camp. The presence of God was understood to be in the midst of his people. And Jesus came down, as the Gospel of John said, and tabernacled in human flesh. He was the presence of God in the midst of his people. And even though this is true, Israel was mostly blind to the fact that he came into his own creation, but his own people rejected him. The time of his earthly stay ended at the cross. The body of death was put off and buried. His body arose from the grave, not subject anymore to tasting death. He still desires to be the presence of God in the midst of his people, but this time in glory. This is the promise of the new Zion assembly, which Hebrew, Hebrews later addresses. So how did Jesus defeat death? Verse true through death itself. The eternal God in his divinity cannot die. The eternal God lives forever. He never changes. And so for the eternal God to save us from death, through death, he had to take on humanity in the person of his son. He had to become a human being. Jesus died so that death for us may no longer be the final enemy. He came so low to lead us to glory, verse 5 to 13. He came so low to defeat death, verse 14 to 15. And he came so low to become our high priest, verse 16 to 18. The high priest for the people of God must be a true human being. And this is another reason he had to become human. He needed to feel our pain and our suffering and not just observe it from afar. And we can never say that my suffering goes deeper and further than the suffering of Jesus Christ. On the cross, he took on himself the sin of the guilty, and he faced not only the physical agony of the worst execution that the Romans could come up with, 
but he faced the very judgment of God himself. Many of us may say, how can a loving God look on unmoved while his creatures suffer? Verse 18, the Lord Jesus Christ is supremely qualified to be our high priest, to be our representative before a compassionate God. Jesus is the one person that we can feel confident in bringing our suffering to. He is the one person who will understand as we undergo trial and pain. He is qualified to be our great high priest. Jesus gave himself as an offering that fully addresses the just and righteous anger of God for the sins of humanity. The suffering of Jesus was the eternal purpose of God. And again, we have to stand in utter amazement, utter amazement of God. And no wonder Hebrews calls this such a great salvation. What more could God do than he has already done? He has redeemed us. No wonder Hebrews warns us against letting this great salvation slip from our fingers. If we consider what punishment we deserve for our sins, how could we neglect such an offer? This is a once and forever opportunity. So what is our response? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. The greater that Jesus Christ becomes for me, the more everything else in my life falls into place and makes sense and begins to work properly. God made us for glory. He made us for purpose. Jesus has come that he might raise us up to glory. He is merciful and he is faithful to us. What the writer of Hebrews calls us to do is to simply think on Jesus. To consider deeply what it meant for the eternal Son of God to take on flesh and die. In Jesus Christ, God became man and did so that he might save us. As we remember and celebrate his resurrection this Easter Sunday, we also think on that the cross is good, but the resurrection is best. The resurrection proves Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the risen Lord and the Son of God. The resurrection vindicates Jesus. The principalities and powers tried to kill Jesus, but God raised him and exalted him to the highest place. The resurrection proves that God's grace is greater than our sin. On the cross, Jesus bore our sin that we might bear his righteousness. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, and if Christ had not been raised, your fate is futile. You are still in your sins. But Christ has been raised, proving that any claim that sin had against us has been fully settled. The gospel of the empty tomb declares that our sin cannot condemn us. In Christ, we have been pardoned for all time. Here are three important facts of Christ's life. He died, was buried, and rose again. 
Of these, the last is the greatest. For if Christ never rose, it makes no difference that he died and was buried. The resurrection is the heart of the gospel message. A gospel that points to the empty tomb is a gospel that can change your life. Jesus was raised to new life so that we can experience new life in him. This new life is not obtained through hard work and discipline. It's received by trusting in a good father who delights to share his life with his children. Everything about God's grace is extreme because our Heavenly Father is extreme. His love for us is greater than we can possibly conceive or imagine. If we think we have a handle on the grace of God, we don't. The Bible declares his love and grace surpass knowledge. So no matter what we imagine his grace to be, his grace is greater still. Jesus reveals a loving God who cares deeply for us. We built a wall, but he made a door. We ran and hid, but he came and found us. God sent Jesus because he wants us to know how much he loves us. And just as sin had no claim on Jesus, sin now has no claim on us. If we believe in and trust Jesus for our salvation, if we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, if we ex- if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then our forgiveness is an eternally unshakable fact. It's the gift of God. And God's gifts are unlike any other gift. Salvation is a perfect and everlasting gift that never rusts or fades away. And that means it is perfect and eternally secure, unlike the gifts of men, which soon pass away. Not as the world gives, give I unto you, says, says our Lord Jesus. If the Lord gives you salvation at this moment, then you have it. And you have it forever. You will never take it back again. And if he does not take it from you, who can? If he saves you now through faith, you're so saved that you will never perish. And no one will ever pluck you out of his hand. And may it be so with every one of us. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you love this world so much that you gave your one and only son that we might be called your children too. Lord, help us to live in the gladness and grace of Easter Sunday every day. Let us have hearts of thankfulness for your sacrifice. Let us have eyes that look upon your grace and rejoice in our salvation. Help us to walk in that mighty grace and tell your good news to the world. All for your glory do we pray. Before I leave, or before we leave, (coughs) as is our custom at uh, Bible Fellowship Assembly on this day of days, let me end our session 
by saying to you, He has risen. I know some of you are responding, but now let's do it again in unison. All of God's people reply, He has risen indeed. Have a wonderful day, and may the Lord Jesus bless you. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.